I want to begin today's message with a quote, and it's a quote from Kyle Snodgrass uh, from his commentary on Ephesians. And he writes this, he says, the gospel is an assault on the reality we know. The gospel is an assault on the reality we know. What's he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is most people live out of a reality limited by a sensory knowledge. Uh, we know it exists because we can see it, we can taste it, we can smell it, feel it. And for many people, most people, that is the totality of the reality they live out of. It's what they know. But the gospel invites us into a much bigger reality. The gospel asserts there is a God who has acted on our behalf in Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual reality, and God invites us into it. And so the gospel is an assault on the reality we know. It's calling us into a, a bigger reality and calls us to live out of that. And so I have to ask you, what reality are you living out of? Unfortunately, uh, we as Christians have to continually be reminded that there is more than just this world that we see. There is a bigger reality, which is why Romans 12.2 reminds us to, to do, don't be conformed to the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Continue to read your Bible, expose yourselves to, to the testimony of God about a bigger reality. And as we ingest by faith that bigger reality and we live out of it, it affects what we value, it affects how we feel, it affects what makes us afraid or doesn't make us afraid, how we spend our time and energies. May I even suggest to you that you cannot be a Christian until you first accept the bigger reality testified by the gospel. And I, I start with that because... In our text today, the Apostle Paul is praising God for spiritual blessings. He is moved. You can just feel it. He is, he is overwhelmed with and by uh, the, of the goodness of God to him in the spiritual realm in Christ. And he praises God out of that. None of that worship would be coming forth from Paul if he did not buy into the greater reality. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. It's uh, towards the latter part of your Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Uh, we call it a book, but it's really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus. And we talked a bit about uh, that city last week. By the way, if you haven't, uh, if you miss any of the sermons, you can catch up online. I have a vision for your life during this series. I want you to get the most out of this series possible. And so I have three ideas for you. Number one, don't miss any of the sermons. If you can't be here physically, you can watch online. We record them online. You can listen to them as an audio podcast. You can even watch them in video form, clearwater.church. Uh, you can download the Clearwater Church app and take it with you on the go. So catch all the sermons. Number two, be reading this letter over and over again. It's short, six chapters. You can read the whole thing from uh, start to finish in about 30 minutes. And so I encourage you, we're going to be in this series for about three months. 
be reading Ephesians over and over again. Let's get the language and the imagery and the truths of Ephesians uh, tumbling around in our heads and our hearts. It gives the Holy Spirit more uh, ammunition with which to transform us. Hiding the Word of God in our hearts uh, blesses us for a lifetime. It's, it has uh, forever payoff, so let's do that. And then thirdly, I encourage you to do an online Bible study. And you will see in your bulletin, mentioned this last week, that we have purchased on behalf of everybody here at Clearwater Church one year's access to Right Now Media. And it's kind of like a Netflix for Christians. There are all kinds of parenting tools and Bible studies and clean videos for, for people to watch. Uh, it's an amazing resource. And there in the bulletin tells you how to go online and sign up. You can, again, it has an app. Uh, in fact, if you want to, pull out your telephone now, get out your camera, uh, take a picture of that QR code in the bulletin. It'll launch the website. I won't be offended if you're signing up for right now media while we are talking, because this is going to benefit you. And there are three uh, Bible studies on, the, on, the, or on Ephesians, and Pastor James in the bulletin has recommended one by J.D. Greer. Number one, listen to all the sermons. Number two, be reading Ephesians over and over again. Number three, do this online Bible study. Get the most out of this series. You will be blessed as a result. Verses 3 through 14, I mentioned this last week, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, Ephesians, it's one sentence in Greek, one long sentence, ginormously long sentence. It's as if the Apostle Paul begins to praise the Lord and he can't stop. He just goes without taking a breath all the way to verse 14 because he's so overwhelmed with the blessings that God has blessed us with in Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to talk about those blessings and he lists five of them. Last week... We sat on the first one, verses 4 through 6. The fact that God, before the foundation of the world, chose us to be adopted into his family. He chose us for a special relationship with him. And we just sat on that and we took that in and we praised the Lord as a result. Today we're looking at verses 7 through 14. So we're actually going to power, power through four more of these blessings. Uh, but we want to take a moment after each one to process it, and, and the end result is praise to God. So here we are in verse 7, the second blessing Paul talks about. So why do we bless the Lord? We bless the Lord because He has blessed us in Christ. So the second blessing is that God in Christ Jesus has redeemed us from spiritual slavery. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption, underline that word, redemption. Uh, what does that mean? It means that you and I, before being set free, were slaves to sin. In Paul's day, redemption had a very particular meaning. It meant the buying 
out of captivity, paying a price so that someone could be set free. Uh, maybe they had been captured in war, or maybe they were a slave. And so they're owned by another. They don't have freedom, but a price is paid, a redemption price is paid, and so they are then set free to walk in freedom. You and I, all humans, are born into slavery because of sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, and then our own sin. We are slaves to sin. Sin gets, has the right to call the shots in our lives. We are slaves to sin and to the forces of darkness, and, and ultimately we are slaves to uh, the consequence of sin, which is death. So we live our lives under the shadow of death. But Jesus has paid a price to set us free. And what is the price? The price of spiritual freedom is not personal reformation. Now, now that God does want us. Uh, one of the reasons he chose us and, and paid the price so that we could be set free is so that we would live holy and blameless lives before him. Absolutely. That's a result God uh, wants from his children. But that's not, how the, that's not the redemption price. The redemption price wasn't the good example of Jesus. It wasn't even the righteous life of Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, which is what Paul says. In him we have redemption through his blood. Why death? Do you think if there were a smaller price that God could have paid, he would have asked his son Jesus to hang on the cross? Remember, Jesus said to the Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through the, the suffering of the cross, yet not my will but thine be done. No, Jesus had to die because the penalty of sin is death. By the way, this, this redemption price isn't paid to Satan. It's actually paid to satisfy the, the justice of God. It is God who has been offended by our what? What is it? What made us sin, uh, slaves, by the way? Paul tells us um, through, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that word trespass has a particular connotation of going beyond the law of God. You've transgressed the boundaries God had set, has set for you. You've sinned but you've sinned in a particular way, which is rebelling against God's, uh, God's will for your life. And so, because of our sin, the justice of God demands death. If we paid the penalty, it's game over, but God, out in his love for us, left heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, and he went to the cross and laid down his life. Willingly, he paid the redemption price. In him, Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What a blessing. Do we value the price that was paid for our freedom? Do we value the price that was paid for our freedom? A great price was paid 
the blood of Christ, so that you may walk in spiritual freedom. So please don't squander it. (laughs) Boy, the Bible hits this theme repeatedly. Don't squander the freedom that has been granted you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we read in Galatians What is the verse I'm supposed to quote here? Forgot to write it down. No, Galatians. Don't I have this one? Galatians. I don't have it. It was a great verse. Ah. It's about you've been set free. Don't use your freedom. Don't submit to being a slave anymore. 5-1. 5-1, for free, oh, that's right, there we go. For freedom, Christ has, you're just a great student, thank you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, right? You've been set free, so why, why in the world would you then Go ahead and hand yourself back over to sin's mastery. And then in Romans, I need to write these things down, but in Romans, I think I have it here, uh, chapter 6, verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So, we have, this, this great price has been paid so that we can be free from the power of sin in our lives. Yet the reality is some Christians just willingly hand themselves back over to sin's mastery. And Paul is saying, don't do that. What a shame. What a waste. You have the opportunity to, to live a different, more noble, God-empowered life. A holy and blameless life before God which is what you were born for. Don't squander the freedom. So I want us to personalize this, and uh, I'd like us to put this in the first person. And so we're going to say, I won't squander my freedom by again granting sin control. So will you say that out loud with me? I won't squander my freedom by again granting sin control. Pause a moment, go into your own mind. What does that mean for you? So God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be adopted into his family. He has redeemed us from slavery to sin. Uh, And third, he has lavished his grace on us. End of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us. What is your vision of your heavenly father? Is he closed-fisted or open-handed to you? Is your heavenly father stingy, a penny pincher, or is he generous? And there is the reality 
And then there is your perception. And I, I'm going to talk about the reality, as Paul reminds us, and I'm going to challenge you on your perception. What is your perception of your Heavenly Father? Because it makes a whole lot of difference in your spiritual life. The reality is that God is rich in grace. According to His riches in grace. Okay? God has a whole lot of grace available. You're not going to tap Him out. You're not going to overdraft God's grace accounts. He's never going to come to a place where He says, that's it for you. I got nothing left. No more grace for you. What is grace? We talked about it last week. It's unmerited favor. You don't deserve the favor of God, and yet He gives you His favor. It rests upon you. He smiles at you. He's not frowning at you. And it's divine empowerment. God helps you live the life that He's called you to live. What is your perception of your Heavenly Father? makes all the difference when you are in a position of need, especially a position of need that comes about through your own making. You're in a mess because you've sinned. Where do you take your mess? Well, if God is tight-fisted, if he's a stingy God in your mind, are you going to run to him with that kind of a need, or are you going to go to try to clean yourself up on your, in your own strength? But if you understand that your heavenly Father's arms are open to you, He is rich in grace, He lavishes His grace upon you in Christ Jesus, then you are going to turn to your heavenly Father with your need. You say, God, here I am. I need you. I'm in a mess of my own making through my own sin, my own foolishness, my own rebellion, my own lack of faith. God, I need your grace poured out in my life. I need your favor. I need you working on my behalf. I need you for me. And to the child of God, he never says, sorry, I've got nothing left. He's rich in grace. He lavishes his grace upon us. This makes all the difference because you will mess up. You will find yourself in a position of need. Something of your own making, and you'll have to come back to God and say, forgive me, God. Restore the joy of my salvation Cleanse me of my sins. Help me again to live the life that you've called me to live. And we do this over and over and over again. And if we don't get it, we will not move into victorious Christian life. Period. So here's the truth. We want a, we want a first person response to this thing. So I want us to say, if you're willing, say with me, we're going to say, I take my need to the one who lavishes grace upon me. Ready? I take my need to the one who lavishes grace upon me. Take a moment. What does that mean for you right now? first blessing God has, before the foundation of the world, chose us into adoption as his children. 
Number two, in Christ, he redeemed us from spiritual slavery. Number three, he lavished his grace upon us. Fourth blessing, in Christ, he is uniting all things, things in heaven and on earth. End of verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Now, mystery here simply means we couldn't know it if God hadn't revealed it to us. Because it was hidden in his, in his mind. But he has now revealed to us his big purpose. What's he doing? According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan from before he ever said, let there be light, was always to unite all things in Jesus, sum all things up in Jesus, bring all things underneath the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Before he made the world, he predetermined that it was going to all get wrapped up in Christ. Unity is the end game. It's the end goal. It's what's, what we're driving toward. So what does that mean about now? If unity is what will be, right now what we have is alienation. We have disunity. We have brokenness in every relationship. Humanity's relationship with God, alienation. Alienation between humans and other humans. Alienation even within ourselves and alienation with the created world. We are born into this uh, state of alienation this state of brokenness and disunity. Uh, therefore, it seems normal to us. On the other hand, we all long for something better. We know it's not right. It's not the way we want it to be or it should be. And God is saying, I am going to rectify that. I am going to reconcile all things, unify all things under Christ. And it's going to happen through and in Jesus Christ. And it happens as we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And so we can begin to enter in, even now, into this great uh, ultimate good by submitting more and more of our lives to Christ. And as we do that as a community, uh, we begin to reflect a unity to the world around us that's different and better. And eventually, the Bible says, eventually, there will be no nook and cranny in the entire universe that is not submitted perfectly to our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, there will be unity in Him. So, Right now, we look around our world, and sometimes we look around and, and despair. Oh, wow, this is a disaster. Is there hope? And the Bible says, trust God. He has a great plan. In fact, in the next verse, in verse 11, we read this. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, all things according to the counsel of his will. Man, write that down. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is sovereign. He is Lord of history. Things are not out of his control. 
People absolutely can resist God, but they cannot thwart God. Humans have, and the devil has, sought, has resisted God and vehemently, but they have had zero success thwarting God. He is working all things out according to his plan. And so we know the end. We know how it's going to all wrap up. And even when things look really bad in the moment, we trust God's good plan. We, take, we have hope in his plan. We take comfort from his great plan. And, and you know what? The Bible uh, in Romans chapter 8, 28, it goes from sort of the general, uh, God is working all things out, and it gets very specific, and it says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You, individual child of God, he is working all things out for your good. The sovereign of history is weaving a tapestry of life that someday when you see the big picture, you'll look at and say, wow, that is beautiful and that was good for me. Praise God. But he deserves our praise now by faith. Even, by, even now, by faith, when the world looks like, looks like a disaster, by faith we say, God, we believe and we praise you that you are working all things out according to the good purpose of your will. And so we want to trust and support God's plan. Let's personalize that. And what I want to say is, God, I trust and I will support your plan. Ready? I trust and support your plan. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be adopted into his family. Number two, God has redeemed us from spiritual slavery. Blessing three, God has lavished his grace upon us. Blessing four, God is uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. And then finally, in Christ, God has granted us an eternal inheritance. In verse 11, we read, In Him, Christ Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Another a shorthand way of thinking about that inheritance is eternal life with God in paradise. Eternal, it's going to last forever, with God. He is the, he's the great gift of heaven in paradise a place where there is no pain, suffering, brokenness, disunity, none of that stuff that we so are so desperate to get out of our lives. And notice we have already obtained it. We have obtained the inheritance, but we live in an already not yet world. It, we've already obtained the inheritance, but we, don't, we are not yet enjoying it in its fullness, and we won't until Christ returns. And so much of the Christian life is already not yet. We're tasting, but the full smorgasbord uh, inheritance will be enjoyed when Christ returns. Verse 13. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So how did we gain this inheritance? You, how do you become a Christian? How do you become a child of God? How do you go from being 
uh, alienated God to being reconciled to God, from his enemy to being his friend, from being outside to being inside. It, you believe in the one that the gospel talks about. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, somebody preached to you the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, believing in Jesus, a very simple way to think about how to get saved is you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you become a Christian. That's what Paul's talking about. When you became a Christian, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You've obtained your inheritance, but you're not going to get to enjoy it in its fullness until Christ returns, but God has given you a down payment so you can be confident that uh, you're going to get the whole, everything that's promised to you when Christ returns. The down payment is the Holy Spirit. So I'm uh, in the process of selling a rental house. In fact, tomorrow we're supposed to sign on the dotted line and and, uh, close tomorrow, record Tuesday. Um, Sabrina and I will be glad to have this done. And with this uh, house sale, or with the purchase and sale agreement came earnest money, right? It's a down payment. It says, you know, because we've put earnest money down, you can be sure you'll get the full payment at the end. Uh, uh, at, at the end. And we're super, you know, the down payment, the earnest money, okay. But Sabrina and I are excited about, you know, what's coming Tuesday. And same thing, the, uh, as a Christian, we have begun to experience our inheritance. Actually, I shouldn't say that the, the indwelling Holy Spirit is no small thing. That's amazing and makes a total positive, tremendous difference in our lives. But there's so much more to come in the end. But I do want to, let me just spike this. Uh, even the Christian life is already better than the non-Christian life because you're indwelt with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God produces His fruit in your life and His, His fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Ask any man on the street, would you like those things? Absolutely. We have the Spirit of the living God supernaturally producing them in our lives. The Christian life is better than the non-Christian life. Life before God is better than life apart from God. Absolutely. But it's just a down payment. There is more to come. But God does not want you to be unsure that you're his child. In college, my roommate was uh, scandalized by my assertion that I was a child of God destined for heaven. Mike, remember, you cannot say that. You don't know what you're going to do with your life. I said, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is not about what I'm going to do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done and the fact that I am united to him by faith. So unless I abandon my faith in Jesus Christ, I absolutely know I'm going to heaven someday. Gospel of John chapter, I'm sorry, the, the Apostle John, 1 John 5, 12. I write these things to you, my brother, so that you may know that you have eternal life. God does not want you to be unsure about your status with him. They, am I a child of God? Am I not a child of God? Boy, I won't know until I get to heaven. He wants you to know. 
And so Paul is saying he put his Holy Spirit within you as a guarantee that you will get the whole inheritance. You can know that you're a child of God and that you will obtain eternal life with God in paradise if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you can be certain God wants you to be assured that you're His and you're going to, going to go to heaven someday. Well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Great question. I called my childhood friend John Buller uh, to see if this was a hard question. I said, John, how do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? This was this week. And he said, uh, Mike, do you not know the answer to that question? I said, just tell me. He said, uh, it's because the fruit of the Spirit is in my life. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, good, good answer. Really, did you not know that? I'm like, I know that. I'm a pastor. Bye-bye. Of course, I know the Holy Spirit is in my life because the fruit of the Spirit is in my life. And, it, and I, you know, it's not like non-Christians can't uh, evidence love and, and goodness and gentleness and kindness. But we know that we have those things being, being powerfully worked in our lives by the Holy Spirit. That's how you know. So if you have question, if you look at your life and say, I'm not sure that I have the Holy Spirit, I don't want to let you off the hook too quickly. Yeah, wrestle that question to the ground. Make sure that you're saved. But, but when you know that the Holy Spirit was in, is within you, then, then there's the, there is the proof that you're God's child and that heaven is your destiny. The Holy Spirit is called a guarantee. The Holy Spirit here is also called... Uh, the seal, that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And there are sort of two ideas here. One is, think about a letter, and then there's that wax seal, and it gets imprinted with the insignia ring. And that seal indicates authenticity, and it's backed by the authority of the ring. The Holy Spirit within you demonstrates the authenticity of your spiritual life. You're a genuine Christian. Seal also means mark. And so slaves in Paul's day were often marked, in a sense, branded maybe with a tattoo, as, uh, as slaves. And we are marked, the Holy Spirit marks us as belonging to God. We are His possession. And make no mistake, the spiritual realm sees that mark. Satan knows who very well who is the child of God. And so again, God is not interested in uh, holding you hostage to uh, the question of am I his child or not. He goes to great lengths to assure you, you're mine, I've claimed you, and you will gain life forever with me in paradise. And I don't want you to worry about that because that just fritz away Frets away your time and energy. Be confident in, in your relationship with me and get about the business of living a holy and blameless life before me. So the five blessings, spiritual blessings, we have received in Christ in the heavenlies. Number one, we've been adopted into God's family. We've been, number two, redeemed from spiritual slavery. Number three, uh, we've had God's grace lavished on us. 
4. All things are being united in, in Christ. And finally, we have an eternal inheritance. And Paul ends with this statement, to the praise of his glory. He began with, blessed be God. The Father, he just plays, praise the Lord without a breath, and to the praise of his glory. The gospel is an assault on the reality we know. The gospel invites us into a larger reality, into a belief that there is a spiritual realm, and in that spiritual realm we have been blessed in Christ. And it is that fuller reality that we will inhabit for our full eternity, our real lives, hidden with Christ in God. So let's respond with the way that Paul responds, praise. So I want to invite the worship team up at this time. And if you will just stand, and we are going to praise God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places.